everyone. Welcome to the True Crime Podcast, where we mainly focus on San Diego cases. My name is Arena. I'm Renette. Hi, Arena. Hi, Renette. What's up? How are you feeling? I kind of feel like I'm coming down with something. Um, Aiden got sick over the weekend. My mom's been sick. A lot of my tenants have been sick, and now I'm just kind of feeling like I'm fighting something. No, everyone's getting sick. I just got finished being sick, so I hope I stay stays that way for like another year. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten sick since June, um, and I was in Portland sick at that time. And then I'm like, great, I have trivia on Wednesday, and then I'm going out. I'm going to Idlewild the weekend after, which I'm sure mm-hmm. I'll be fine by then. And then I have Portland again in another couple weeks, so I'm excited oh for that. That's right. Hopefully you feel better by then because that's a lot. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, So uh, I had mentioned to you, Arena, that I kind of put off recording this episode because uh, the author of a book where I got most of my source material, if not all of my source material, he was Mm -hmm. doing a speaking at Coronado. um, uh, Can't think of the name kind of loopier than normal (laughs) um, (laughs) historical association. So he was doing a speaking all on his book. Um, So I really wanted to go to that. I wanted to meet him. I actually took a picture with him. Did I send it to you? No, I saw it on your Instagram story. It was only for like half an hour because I I didn't realize that I looked really drunk because it was unlimited wine. What? Yeah. So you you paid $20 and they were serving unlimited amounts of wine and then uh, like cheese and that sort of stuff. And I felt like I had to drink wine when I first got there. Well, not I didn't have to, but um, (laughs) I was, you know, I'm freaking old, but I was the youngest person there in the beginning. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I was there with like all these old like really literally senior citizen people. And I'm not like, old, Renette. <laughs> <laughs> they looked like clearly super wealthy, at least to me, you know, yeah. um, they were all li- lived in the area. Um, and then thank goodness, um, after about like 40 minutes, these other two girls came in who were probably your age. And they let me hang out with them. And then they were <laughs> drinking a lot of wine. And then by the time it was over, and I you know, told him how much I enjoyed his book. I was like, I look like a fucking idiot. I was like, you're pretty, like, pretty buzzed. I, I loved your book. By the way, have you had some wine? The wine is free. <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool to go to that. Um, and so now basically, I'm going to talk about the murder of a 17 year old girl named Louise Tibor, Tiber. I don't know, T-E-U-B-E-R. Okay. And like I mentioned, um, I got most of my source material, if not all of it, from a book called Monsters on the Loose by Richard Carrico. Um, It says it's the true story of unsolved murders in the Prohibition era of San Diego. So Richard, yeah, it's such a good book, Arena. It it really is good. I read it in two days. Richard's an archaeologist, historian, and university instructor. I think he teached or taught. He's retired now at SDSU. And he just really dives deep into what San Diego was at that time in 1931. It's also really interesting because he goes into like the Kumeyaay tribe. And, you know, there was like this place that he mentions 
It was a saloon, and it was called Bucket of Blood that was in downtown. I was like, fuck, if that was open now, you and I would want to go there for sure just because of the name. Yeah, that's such an interesting name, Bucket of Blood. I wonder why they called it that. Like, is is there an explanation or is it just kind of like? No, he just mentions that it was a saloon in downtown at that time. There's just a lot of really interesting information. So I highly recommend reading that book, especially if you like true crime. It's crazy and to think that, like, yeah, exactly. It's crazy to think that, like, the gas lamp back in the day was like these saloons with like those wooden doors that flap open, and you park your horse <laughs> in your carriage, like instead of your car. <laughs> it's crazy, right. to think about that. yeah. And just imagining there were like, um, what were they called? What's the proper word? But like, basically, whorehouses. Like, oh yeah, why can't like, I think uh, of the name? But, uh. Oh, people What's are going to be like, I know what, oh, it hold on. It in this book. I can't think of the name, um, but you get what I'm talking about. Um, are they called, let's see. Um, no, none of these words. I'm just trying to think of the word. Yeah, um, what is the name? Patterns. Basically, an Adelitas. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Huh. Okay, anyway. But. <laughs> Anyhow, he he just really dives deep into what San Diego was like at that time. Highly recommend, can't recommend it enough. And mm-hmm. I have to say, he was a really nice man. He was super well-spoken. And everybody that was there, they were really nice people. Um, so yeah, but enough of that. Um, mm-hmm. So Louise, she was born in 1914 in San oh, Diego. Oh, Brothels. Sorry. Brothels, that's <laughs> Brothels. right. Oh, so it yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, continue. <laughs> That's it. So she was born in 1914 in San Diego to her mom, Eleanor, and her dad, William. Um, Louise's mom did pass away unexpectedly when she was only two and a half years old. I'm not sure how she passed away. Um, but anyhow, Louise lived with her dad, who at that time, he was a barber. He owned his own barber shop. And her grandma also lived with them. I imagine probably to help out with like, you know, a young girl because it was her and her sister. Yeah. And I um, imagine like it's it's not rare to have like a parent living with you, especially if they're like a certain age and they're alone. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so they lived on Vermont Street, which is a bit north of this deep canyon that split the neighborhood from Hillcrest. It was a really nice neighborhood, um, just above middle class at that time. And probably now it's considered above middle class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Louise went to high school and she, San Diego High School, and she didn't get the best grades. In fact, it said that she actually had poor grades, um, but she later left San Diego High School to attend Snyder Continuation School which was okay. a special school for students who couldn't attend full-time school. To me, it sounded something like the Learning Center. Do you remember that? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the Learning Center. I had a few friends that had to do that, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sorry, this time I'm not drinking wine. I'm drinking tea because my throat's dry. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so... Um, I think switching schools was actually really good for Louise because she did great in that continuation school. Um, In fact, two months before she passed away, she made it onto the honor roll. Oh, okay. So some people learn better doing it independently, right? Yeah, they learn in different ways for sure. 
Mm-hmm. So she's 17. She's going to a continuation school and she also has a job. She worked at the Crest Five and Dime store in downtown San Diego on Fifth Avenue and C Street. Um, actually, right now it's the same building where there's a Ross store right now. Okay. And mm-hmm, so these Crest stores, they were a chain of five and 10 cent stores that sold affordable merchandise. Okay. And Louise was said to be super friendly. She was really pretty. Like if you Google an image of her, she's very pretty. She wore her dark hair in a short, um, like a shoulder length bob. And she liked to date just like most girls her age. So she really liked to hang out with her high school friends, her coworkers, and then hang out with the guys that she dated. Um, Mm -hmm. She really enjoyed going to the Mission Beach skate rink. She liked going to dances. Um, She would like to hang out at the beach, going to the movies. And her and her friends sometimes would take a drive up a dirt road off of Mission Gorge Road to uh to a hidden spot. And um, there was like an oak grove at the base of it. It was called Black Mountain, but now it's known as Cowell's Mountain. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, those mm-hmm. all sound very familiar. <laughs> yes, yes. That's why I really enjoyed reading this book because I'm like, oh, that sounds familiar. Like I, the yeah. other week I drove past Louise's house too. <gasps> really? Mm-hmm. It's still mm-hmm. there? It's so pretty. It's still there, uh, like an older mm-hmm. craftsman style home. There's like a, it's on the, it's like a cul-de-sac and there's a bridge. But anyhow, it's really pretty. Um, So there was a news article um, that did label Louise as a, and it's in quotes, a modern girl. Um, Back in the 1930s, calling a young woman a modern girl meant that she was kind of like ahead of her time. Um, Mm. Like she was all about being independent and not going i guess with like the traditional ways and embracing the latest trends like kind of controversial like a little bit taboo okay Mm -hmm, which i love that about her yeah of course (laughs) and um so i said that to me i just took it as a way of of thinking like she was cool and forward thinking with stuff in that era um Mm. which i would be flat flattered if someone labeled me back in the day as you know as that um but anyways her and her dad they okay so louise and her dad and her grandma they actually did get along really well they got along really well um when her grandma would get sick louise would take care of her she really looked after her dad but the part where she bumped heads with her father was um because of her lifestyle like you know he didn't like her going out at night um he thought that she liked to go out way too much and he wasn't the biggest fan of who her friends were okay which is normal though too right i mean that sounds like every dad that exists (laughs) exactly i think (laughs) so too (laughs) so right before her death she did write her dad a letter and Sadly, it wasn't delivered to him because she had it sent through the post mail, uh, you, the post office, and it wasn't delivered to him until after her death. And it read, Dear Dad, I have tried for a long time to be satisfied with the way you're running the house and I can stand it no longer. I am leaving home tonight and I'm not coming back. And it's sad because that letter is true. She never came back after she wrote that letter. Oh, that's so sad. 
And that sucks that that was like the last type of communication they had. And it wasn't like yes. a good one. And like the last like couple of weeks leading up to her death, they were really just bickering a whole lot. Um, so Louise really wanted to get out of San Diego. She wanted more adventure. Um, she left her older sister, Isabel, a note too. And it said, let me see. When you get this note, tell the folks not to worry. I couldn't stay in San Diego another day. And at the bottom of the note, she drew a skull with crossbones. And, what? Which I thought, I just thought, though, she she just seems cool. Like, and then, yeah. She's all metal. Week, she's like, yeah, dip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then a week before she died, she wrote a letter to her aunt and uncle, who they lived in Chicago, and she seemed to care a lot about them. And she apologized for not writing them in a long time. But she told them that she had been doing a lot of roller skating lately and that she was getting really good at it. She told them that she could even do these backwards turns. Um, but she also said to them that she wanted to get out of San Diego. She said it was so dead and she was afraid it would burn up someday because there was no excitement at all. Oh, wow. Dang. You think San Diego is boring? <laughs> I, right. And I, that's what I was thinking of. I was like, gosh, like... I mean, most people love San Diego. There's so much to do, right? Maybe back then, like, the city wasn't that big and there wasn't that much to do. But, like, compared to Chicago, New York City, like, maybe L even L.A., like, or San Francisco to compare to it, maybe San Diego did seem kind of boring, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. And um, her aunt and uncle, they actually did offer for her to go and stay with them in Chicago. But they said um, it was only on the condition that her dad was okay with it. So she asked her dad and her dad said, no, like, you know, yeah. you have to wait until you're 18 years old to go there. Yeah. And and then it's just got me thinking, gosh, back in those days, we, we had to write letters, no text message, no emails, you know. And it took like days. I mean, depending on how far you were, but like. Yeah, if the post was already gone by the time you needed something delivered, it wouldn't be delivered till the next day. And let's say it takes two to three days. So like four days just to get a yeah. letter. Yeah. yeah. And um, on the morning of April 18th, 1931, so it was a Saturday, Louise left her house to go to work. And she walked a couple of blocks south to University Avenue. And then she hopped on a streetcar to Fifth Avenue. And then she transferred to another streetcar that took her to downtown to her job, to that Crest Five and Dime store. Uh -huh. And throughout the day, her friends stopped by uh, her job just to say hi. Some of them said they even smoked cigarettes with her during her lunch breaks or, you know, little breaks. And she told a friend of hers named Edwin that she was heading off to Seattle that night. But he said there was no mention of a new boyfriend or anything like that, um, nothing about plans to go to, like, Chicago, because apparently another one of her friends did say later that, oh, yeah, Louise told me that she had this new boy boyfriend and they were going to elope and move to Chicago. So that's what she told her friend, this other friend. But okay. this different friend said, no, uh, she told me she's going to Seattle. Oh, and she was known to kind of, like exaggerate truth sometimes you know she's she's only 17 yeah yeah so 
Anyways, um, she told that friend, Edwin, that um, they were going to, you know, let's meet up at 530 and we'll talk more about what my plans are, you know, later tonight. Let's just meet up at 530 when I get out of work. But she never showed up. So that day, it was actually payday. And Louise got paid in cash. She took her cash. She put it in an envelope. And her coworker, Doris, said that Louise quit her job that afternoon. She said what? that she would, yeah, she said that she was going to complete her shift that day. But once it was over, she wasn't coming back. Okay. And again, she also told Doris that she was headed to Chicago. Um, so, two pe- you know, a couple people, she said Chicago. This other person, she said Seattle. Anyways, at 5.30, she got out of work. And she went to a nearby store and she purchased um, some panties and a bra. So her friends, she had some friends who did run into her at around 6 p.m. They said she looked happy. It didn't seem like there was anything out of the ordinary. And sadly, that was going to be the last time that her friends seen her. Damn, that sucks. The next day, which would be Sunday, April 19th, 29-year-old Antonio Martinez went with his wife and his two young sons for an afternoon picnic. They got into their car, they left their home in Lemon Grove, and they drove to Black Mountain, which, you know, Cowell's Mountain. Mm -hmm. So Antonio parked his car in an area that had a large grove of oak trees. Um, So they get out and they start walking to find a nice area to have their picnic well, immediately, Antonio noticed that something just didn't look right. He's seen something. He's like, what the heck is that? Gets closer, and he realizes it's a body hanging from a tree. And it's <gasps> the body of Louise. Hanging from a tree? Yes. Oh, my God. Was she clothed? Um, no. She was <gasps> nude except for, gosh, it was some shoes. Um, she had her watch on, but she was basically mostly nude. Oh God, what the hell? That's crazy. So he has his wife and two young kids. So he tells everybody, get in the car, yeah. you know, rushes them away from the scene. Um, and he drives to the nearest payphone and he calls the police. So police arrive and, you know, they start their investigation. Uh-huh. Now at the crime scene, the investigators snapped a bunch of pictures of the body hanging and the whole area. They made sure to take note. Um, and gather the evidence. So there was the a 20-foot-long, thickly knotted rope. Um, mm-hmm. Louise's neatly stacked clothes. She was naked, but her clothes were folded neatly underneath her. There was a brown army blanket, and um, she had her wrist, uh, her watch on her on her wrist still. And at that time, her wrist was already cold. So... They also take pictures of the tire tracks because you have to remember this is 1931. You know, yeah. it's kind of like boots to the ground, like investigation work back then, right? They didn't have all the stuff we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, so they take pictures of the tire tracks and her body was hanging from the oak tree. Uh, like I said, she was naked except for wearing black shoes. And actually she did have some uh, pantyhose on. But the way she was hanging, she was half sitting. Um, her heels were still touching the ground. Oh, so it's like kind of like you're in a half sitting position. Yeah. Um, the rope was around here and her heels were still touching the ground. Um, oh. There, if, you know, if 
you're the type that likes to see those type of photos, which I, I admit I'm the one that I do like to see that sort of stuff. I, do, I don't get pleasure from it, but I'm just very yeah. curious. And you can find photos of it online. Um, so the right, the rope was tied in a double half stitch and tightly wrapped around her neck. It stretched up over the tree branch and the other end was secured to the base of another tree that was around 15 to 20 feet away. Um, Louise's clothing that was folded neatly underneath her body was a green dress. Uh, she had a fur trimmed coat and some undergarments. Remember back in those days, they dressed lovely. Yeah. And they had a lot of layers on too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, so then remember how I mentioned that day when she got off of work, um, she went to a nearby department store to buy, you know, some underwear and a bra. Mm-hmm. So nearby investigators did find a package with a woman's bra and a pair of pantyhose. And then they had the receipt in that bag. When they checked the receipt, it did turn out that it was those items that Louise purchased that evening. Okay. And then inside Louise's coat, they found four addresses. Three belonged to different men and then one belonged to a girl. So they end up tracking down that girl. And um, they find her. And at that time, they take her body to, I think it was in La Mesa. Yeah, it was La Mesa to a funeral home. And so they take that girl to identify if it was Louise. And she did confirm that it was Louise. And she told Louise that Louise was the daughter of a barbershop owner. And then, you know, that's when they go they to find her dad, William. Okay. So. They do an autopsy on Louise, and the coroner said that Louise got hit at least twice twice in the back of her head, and then there were also wounds that suggested they were probably caused by a heavy ring, like the type that a man would probably wear. Oh, oh okay, like she got like hit with, and then he was wearing a ring? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. And then it also said that Louise was choked, but she wasn't choked to death. But there were moments where she was being choked, choked out. Um, so they hit her and they choked her before they eventually hanged her to death. Oh my there were, yeah, there were some specks of what they think to be human skin under her nails, suggesting that, you know, she'd put up a fight. She back, yeah. There was a partially digested egg sandwich in her stomach, which means that um, her last meal was no longer than 12 hours, probably even less than four hours. Mm -hmm. Um, So she wasn't there very long. And then in the autopsy report, there was no alcohol or drugs or any sort of like poison found in her system. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So investigators are digging for clues, and there were not many. Um, Plus, this was also, you know, different times in regards to DNA and just forensics in general. Yeah, it's difficult. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they were looking into the knot that was tied around the victim's neck because they Mm -hmm. thought it, it stood out to them, that knot. It looked really peculiar to them. And so they really focused on that knot, and then they were focusing on that army blanket. And then, um, oh, because they said the knot, not that I remember, that it was a knot that typically only sail- sailors used. Yeah, okay. So they start looking into who she knows and wondered if anyone she knew was a sailor. Um, and then they also start looking into that army blanket. 
So they start interviewing her friends and try to gather if any of them could be a suspect. And, um, oh, also, I, I do want to mention, um, so, you know, when they did notify William, um, they did end up doing an inquest that was held on April 27th. And Louise's dad, William, was just crying and crying. And t- like, he actually ended up collapsing. And oh. his family and friends were seen, like, trying to console him. Poor guy. That must have been so awful. Can't even imagine. Losing your daughter. Your, I'm sorry, losing your wife. And then now your beautiful, young, you know, 17-year-old daughter. In that um, way. Such a violent. Right, such a tragic. Yeah. Brutal way. He said he felt really, like, he felt guilty. He felt like it was his fault for not keeping a better eye on his daughter. And he said he felt really bad because they were fighting so many, so much before her death, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, that's normal. Like parents, teenagers and their parents fight all the time. Yeah. And about those same things that he and her were arguing about. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's inevitable that like people feel guilty from their last conversations, but I hope that, yeah, he knows that she didn't actually hate him or anything. But yeah, yeah. like you said, it's normal to just have arguments. Yeah. Um, Louise's body was cremated and her ashes were buried at Greenwood Memorial Park near she the was remains. Cremated? Yeah, she wa- Well, actually, I don't know if she wanted to be cremated. She was cremated. Maybe they didn't have enough money. I don't oh. know. Um, but oh, they, they would have thought that they like would have wanted to keep the body for more. Well, I, I guess they did do the autopsy, but still mm-hmm. to find yeah. some clues or something. I don't know. Yeah. And they buried, they did bury the ashes. So it's not like he carried them around in an urn or anything like that. They were buried near the remains of her mom. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so law enforcement kind of tried to, they tried doing like a profile on who they thought her killer would be. They said that he was probably between 25 and 45 years old. Um, he had experience in tying knots and he didn't, care like he didn't have a high regard for women uh Mm. he must have thought low of them so they start their interviews now louise had a pilot friend named cyril smith he told a friend that she often went to the oak grove over there at black mountain Mm. and so the cops tracked cyril down and they interrogate him his alibi for the night of the murder it was a bit fuzzy um, he claimed to be hanging out alone at the swings in Balboa Park. Um, and even though his story wasn't crystal clear, the police released him since there wasn't anything directly pointing to him. Like, they just didn't see him as a person of interest. Oh, and I had a quick question. Um, yeah. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, was she sexually assaulted? Like, did they, um, okay, they so rape kid on her or do they have that back then <laughs> so so then i did read um it said in their original report that there were thoughts that there was no i don't remember the term they used back then but basically um they didn't believe that she was sexually assaulted and then later it it, it said that she, they believe she was raped oh, okay yeah i mean because she was nude like i'm guessing and there wasn't a robbery like it wasn't no just her, her stuff was still there her money was still there too in that her envelope. Watch. Yeah, her watch, her new packaged like stuff that she bought. Like if she was getting robbed, they would have taken all that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 
So, um, so over, oh, and then I know this is like jumping way ahead, but this guy, Cyril, that they've questioned, he, 20 years later, he went driving down to Mission Gorge Road towards, you know, where, um, towards Santee with a friend named Thomas. He went down that dirt road and went straight to the murder site. He parked at the edge of that oak grove and he pointed out to his friend named Thomas sharing the details of Louise's murder that went down that night right there. And in Richard's book, Monsters on the Loose, he actually interviewed Cyril's friend Thomas, and Thomas told Richard that Cyril matter-of-factly matter said that he knew how Louise choked to death before hanging. He said Cyril told him it happened because she was performing oral sex. What? And then he walked Thomas to the exact tree where it all went down. So then Richard, of course, asked Cyril or asked Thomas, um, you know, did Cyril say he knew who murdered Louise? And he said Cyril had knew, no clue about who the culprit was. But it's like, <laughs> excuse me, how do you know that she choked while giving oral sex? And honestly, why would you even say that so disrespectfully about this innocent yeah dead young woman that's really weird and suspicious I thought that was really weird i just thought yeah. you know even if not weird that was just a really shitty comment to say even 20 years later like okay you're young he was young at that time but 20 years have went by and you you for you to say something so incredibly disrespectful yeah and then um, remember how the autopsy showed that she had eaten an egg sandwich. So police decide to go to local diners and start asking employees, hey, have you seen this woman? I imagine they probably showed them a picture of her. And there was a server at an all-night diner on Imperial Avenue in Encanto. He said that he, they re um, he remembers giving an egg sandwich to a sailor, remember, not who uh -huh. had a young woman sitting in the car that was waiting for him. And actually the car was like still running. It was turned on. Um, and then they seen him walk out after ordering the egg sandwich and taking it to the young woman, but Ooh. nothing else came from that story. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And then, sorry, my mouth feels so dry. My throat. Um, oh. So, um, there was a friend named Myretta, and she told investigators that she recognized the army blanket that was folded underneath Louise's body. She said she's seen the same blanket inside this guy uh, named Leslie's car. And I guess uh, Louise would hang out with Leslie. So, of mm -hmm. course, police go back to Leslie to ask him about that. And he says something like, oh, no, that can't be mine. Mine is a gray Navy blanket. And he said that he had some sisters that he would sometimes borrow army blankets from. And he told them that if you go and talk to my sisters, they could confirm that what, you know, he's saying is true. Perhaps they could even compare the blankets. So police okay. do go and they talk to the sisters and it's true. Leslie's story is true. And they took him off of the suspect list. Okay, so not Leslie. <laughs> not Leslie, not Cyril, supposedly. Um, and then there was another suspect who was a 27-year-old taxi driver named Harold Duncan. 
he and Louise dated for a short while. Um, So the wild thing is, the very same evening that Louise's body was discovered, Harold was found wandering around the streets of downtown all fucked up because he attempted suicide by swallowing some sort of arsenic. What? Uh And I'm not sure how he was found. Like, I don't know if it was just another random person in the streets of downtown who's seen that and then phoned the police. Um, Either way, he's taken by authorities and he was placed in a psychiatric ward. And so police go to the psychiatric ward and they question Harold and they asked him, do you know Louise? And he said, yes, I did know her. Well, we kind of dated, but I mostly knew her because we would go to the same house parties. Um, And when asked why he swallowed those arsenic pills, he said, oh, well, it's because I'm struggling financially and I'm feeling really hopeless. You know, that's why. And his Mm -hmm. alibi checked out and they let him go. But they still like want they they still kept him on the watch list. Yeah, that's because that's a really weird coincidence. If he didn't do that, like to her, to Louise, like he was, he happened to appear all messed up and wandering around like that, and decided to try to commit suicide the same night. Yeah, that's really super weird. strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's someone who their identity was never revealed, but they hired a a private investigator and this PI was told of a guy named Robert Casey. Um, Apparently Louise knew him from Snyder continuation school. He was a little bit older than her and he was super into Louise. And um, she even wrote about him in her diary saying something about them hanging out and um, how they had a good time. And so they get word that Robert was staying at a hotel in downtown off mm-hmm. of Sixth Avenue. Well, apparently, like it was more like a motel because it was known for lodging mostly transients and it was just super grimy and cheap. And okay. so they go to the hotel, find out he was staying there. They have a warrant to search his room, and there were just loads of books and magazines that were all about like murder mysteries, like true crime. Oh, shit. So they found a handwritten note from Robert talking about like how he can make a murder look like a suicide. What? Oh my God. So once they talk to the employees from the motel, they find out that Robert checked out about a week and a half before her body was discovered. Um, And someone who was also staying at that motel told police that Robert said he was going to join the military under a fake name. Cause at that time it was a lot easier to get away with that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing more came about from Robert. What? That is just pretty weird, right? Ah, what the hell? This is so weird. All these like quote unquote coincidences. I don't know. It's suspicious. Yeah. And then there was another man named John Parcelano. And I don't think it's even known if he knew Louise. Um, I don't know anything about his background. I couldn't find it. <laughs> Excuse me, anything. But days after Louise's murder, he committed suicide in a San Mateo, California cemetery. What is going on? <laughs> what the hell? What? Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was, 
And so, you know, police, they find out about this. They think it's very interesting um, because he actually hanged himself with a similar noose. And he even had bruises and scratches on his face. Oh and it's believed that he was in San Diego when <gasps> Louise died. So oh what if it was just some random, you know? Oh, God, sorry. I am feeling worse. So, uh, And then remember, I know, remember how I mentioned earlier that at the crime scene, um, police took photos of these tire tracks? Mm-hmm. So they went to tire shops in the area, <clears throat> and it was believed that the tire marks came from a Model T car. I don't know. Is that Ford? I should have looked better. But <laughs> anyways, um, there was a guy who was driving near the crime scene at around 1.30 a.m. So he's near that Black Mountain Road off Mission Gorge. And he said that he's seen a man and a car that was off of this paved road. And so I guess the witness, you know, he just sees this. And so he slows down to be a little looky-loo and see what's going on. And according to the witness, the man seen that this other guy slowed down to take a look at what's going on. Yeah. And the man looked really upset and just co- super confrontational. And so the witness freaked out, got scared, said, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And he just drove yeah. off. Um, cause then who knows, like, what if he had a gun, right? <clears throat> and then, and then the witness said, um, the vehicle appeared to be an older car of some sort. Um, and then according to another witness who's seen Louise that night that she was last seen, um, she, they said they seen her get into a model T type car. So there's that. Oh my God, it's like all these clues and witnesses and, and suspects, but like nothing substantial. Mm-hmm. And then there's a man who went to the Park Manor Hotel on 5th and Spruce. And, and he walked in and approached an employee who was working there. Um, and the employee's name was Thomas St. John. He asked Thomas where he could send out a letter uh, he just asked him, like, you know, is there a mail drop-off box? And Thomas said, yeah, we have one in here. I could drop the letter off for you. So the guy gives the hotel employee the letter. And Thomas starts walking towards, you know, the mail drop-off, looks at the letter, and he notices that the San Diego, it's, or I'm sorry, he notices it's addressed to the San Diego Police Department Coroner's Office. So instead of placing the letter, the letter in the mail drop, um, Thomas called the police, and so an officer came to collect the letter. Mm-hmm. So the letter's opened, and the man that wrote the letter, he says that law enforcement were pursuing the wrong man. He said that the killer of Louise was John Parcelano, which is the man who committed suicide uh-huh. about a week prior. To this day, nobody knows who the man is that mm-hmm. wrote and dropped off that letter. Nothing came of it. Like, I, I just kind of was thinking, well, shit, like maybe it was just somebody trying to like steer them away. Like, I don't know. Like, was it yeah. the person who did something terrible or. Or blame, blame someone who's like, who isn't here anymore. So it's easier to depend it on someone else that mm-hmm. they can't stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and then there's a man um, named Herman Newby. He came to the police radar. Um, So the local newspapers, they were obviously writing about the case. I mean, it was obviously making headlines. 
And there was some article regarding Louise saying, in quotes, unusual snapshots taken near some backcountry mountain resort. And I'm not sure how Herman, Herman came to their radar, but he did. And so police go to his home, which, by the way, he was a neighbor of her. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and um, they go and they do a search. And as they're searching, they find so many photos and paintings of young, nude, and semi-nude women. Oh, no. And um, Louise was was in those pictures. He had mm-hmm. nude pictures of, like, live nude pictures of Louise. Oh, my God. And she was actually only 16 years old the time that he took those photos of her. Yes. So he claimed that he would take these semi-nude and sometimes fully nude photographs of young women because he was artistic and creative. No, that's creepy. (laughs) Mind you, I I wish I wrote down his age, but mind you, he's an old fuck and taking pictures of these young women. No, that's yeah, shit. So after like policing these photos, I mean, it's a crime. You can't take photos of underage women like that. So they arrest him. And his wife, Cecile, posted a $500 bond that very same evening to get him out. Oh, my God. So they release him. But Herman was, you know, eventually going to have to stand trial and have his formal um, charges read to him. Mm -hmm. So... Herman and his wife, Cecile, they lived on Maryland Street in University Heights. And they also would go uh, to this cabin that was in the Julian Mountains. They didn't own it, but one of their family members owned this cabin. Mm -hmm. And at the time, um, and who knows, maybe it still is that way to this day, but there was a group of nudists who would go to that area of Julian Mountains where the... Uh, where the mount the cabin was, and I believe it was called Whispering Pines. Oh, You're all okay. gonna write it down, Arena, so you can. <laughs> yeah, right. Hell no. All those people that are in those nudist co- like colonies are like really old. <laughs> yeah, the ones you don't want to see nude. Yeah, or on nude beaches, they're all like these older people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So Richard Carrico, the author of the book that I had mentioned. Um, he ends up reaching out to Herman's daughter, Diane, who I believe when, cause he, this book came out, gosh, I think it was in October of, yeah, October of 2023. And mm-hmm. so he had been working on this book for a couple of years. Um, and when he reached out to her, she was already in her nineties, if I remember correctly. But anyhow, yeah. you know, he reached out to her. He didn't think that she was going to respond. Um, but she does respond, okay? And hold on a second. Okay, so um, actually, I'm going to read that a little bit later. Sorry. Um, so, <laughs> let's, sorry. Uh, but anyways, so, you know, he gets bailed out by his wife. And Cecile admitted to knowing that her husband took nude photos of young women. And she said it was his form of art. She said he was just a really creative man. She said that he would take these young photos of women, and she said that, yes, he did take it to Louis- of Louise. She remembers him taking her to that cabin in Julian Mountains to take those pictures. And when police asked Herman where he was the night of the murder, 
He told them that him and Cecile, they were at that cabin the entire day, but late in the night is when they left Julian Mountains to drive back to San Diego, and he said when they got home, it was really late, and him and Cecile immediately went to sleep. But later, Cecile said, well, yeah, you know, that is true. We were there in the day, but I went to sleep, and Herman stayed up, so she didn't really even know what time, and the police did know that when they questioned the both of them, she did seem nervous. So who knows? Like, they could have very well not even went to the mountains, and she, you know, could have just went along with whatever her husband was saying, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, But Herman did stand trial on charges of printing and possessing indecent pictures of young women. Um, he said he took those pictures of Louise nude on her 16th birthday, and he said he did it, And he quotes, I took them because she was mature looking and oh, so beautiful. Ew, Ew. this is so creepy, gross. I know. I just want to know what the fuck he looks like. I wish there was photos on his bitch ass. And then his wife is still like bailing him out and shit? No. Mm -mm. Yeah. Well, but then watch. So then Herman ends up pleading guilty to taking those pictures and the judge sentenced him to six only six months in jail and he did serve his six months but while he was in jail cecile does divorce him Mm. so and she does say physical abuse and moral turpitude oh okay damn and um so yeah and so he serves those six months and he gets out, and his na- name never came up uh, as a suspect in Louise's death for the police. Wait, Renette, is this a solved case? Um, no. Or is it? <gasps> no. No! And, and we're almost at the end, you guys. We're almost at the end. This is, I don't, how long have we been recording? It's going to be a shorter episode. Wish I had more, but there was not oh, a whole yeah. lot of info I can found. <laughs> No, um, that's okay. It's still how many minutes are we in? I don't know. It doesn't tell me. Okay. So anyways. Tells you at the end. Sorry. <laughs> about a year after he was released j- from jail. So, you know, um, you know, he did only serve six months. But about a year after he was out, Herman did move to Arkansas. And he married a woman named Jonelle. Now, Jonelle, she was only 24 years old. And he was 42. Yuck. So I know. So they have two children together. They have a son named Francis and a daughter named Diane. Herman and Jonelle, they stayed married for only six years. Jonelle ends up divorcing him because she said that she was subjected to cruel and inhumane treatment. Um, Yeah, she said that he had a horrible temper, but just like Cecile said, right? Um. And about a year after his divorce from Jonelle, he was arrested and convicted of assault and battery on some unnamed person. Um, And he was not, he didn't serve any jail time. He was just, he just paid a fine. Oh my God. And then he's just going to keep doing the same shit over and over. Mm -hmm. And as time was going by, like the police, the uh, I'm sorry, the Los Angeles Times, and there were other news sources that they labeled San Diego police as doing poor police work. And <laughs> the police were criticized by many people. 
I mean, yeah, it seemed like they just kept letting, like, these suspects go and stuff and not doing it more. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well. I just feel like they could have dove deeper. Like, what about, because I think about even, gosh, I can't even think, but the friend, was it Cyril? The one that was a pilot? Like, he could have done something and had access to a plane. I mean, anyways, though, but I will say this. Diane, so the daughter of that woman, Jonelle, um, mm-hmm. the second wife of um, Herman. So D- Richard ended up reach the author of Monsters on the Loose. He mm-hmm. said that he reached out to Diane. He, okay. um, like I mentioned, she was probably in her 90s. He wrote her a letter and he didn't think that she was going to respond at all. Um, he just basically said something like, Hey, uh, did your dad or any other family members ever mention the murder of a woman, a young girl named Louise Tiber? And he told her that your dad lived in the same neighborhood as Louise. And so he didn't expect a response, but to his surprise, she responded. And Diane wrote back. And what's wild to me is she wrote back and she said, do you know if my father was ever a suspect? And to mm-hmm. me, that kind of response speaks volumes, Arena. Yeah, yeah. He's already suspected of him. Because wow. she said that her dad, she tells Richard, my dad was not a good man. He had a violent temper. He was a drunk. He would often say that women were whores. And he said that they were prick teasers. Wow. What the fuck? He would beat her mom and brother all the time. Um and but anyways diane said that she didn't know if her dad ever killed anyone but she strongly believed that he was capable of murder oh my god i can't even imagine thinking that way of like your parent like knowing like yeah he probably did this terrible Mm -hmm. thing to this young girl yeah and her dad died when he was 64 years old um she did say that she went to his bedside as he was dying. Um, but other than that, they were pretty much estranged. Like, mm. I don't know what he was doing. Now I read somewhere and that's where at the end where we postponed, like I was pushing the recording like this last hour. I, mm-hmm. cause I remembered reading and I was trying to find it in the book um, that it said. So remember they focus a lot up on that. knot. it is. It did say he served in some branch of the military so he did so he could have done the knot yeah like richard uh, richard really thinks that herman is a top suspect in the murder um i i think he is too at first i was thinking oh well maybe it's the um the guy that was in the hotel you know into murder mysteries and true crime and stuff or maybe it was that guy that committed suicide but based off of like herman's anger issues and he did serve in some sort of branch and um the way he just thought poorly of women he thought that they were whores the fact that his daughter would think he was capable of murder you know two women divorced him because of how angry he would get how abusive he was it seems really capable and the nudes yeah, and then taking photographs of not, like, women consenting to, to model for him in an artistic way. These, like, underage young girls, like, little like little girls, little teenage girls. Yes. That's not right. And, 
I'm wondering if, like, well, I don't know if you have this in your notes or not, but mm-hmm. they're able to, if they still have any type of DNA or, like, maybe evidence from un- the the skin or whatever under her fingernails. Her fingernails. Yeah, or genealogy. Like on that rope. Um, I, cu- I didn't see anything of that, but I did, when I went to that speaking, Richard did tell us that he, <clears throat> sorry, he was trying to, he has been trying to speak to people from the cold case unit and they mm-hmm. say, well, it's not, you know, the case is, it's still a cold case. Um, it's not like closed, but he basically, he made it seem like they're not really helping him a whole lot. And now that I'm thinking about it, and I did think about it back, you know, when I first um, read about the about Louise, I do want to reach out to Oz Cruz and see if there's any information he can try to give or, you know, what he yeah. knows about it. Or maybe um, push this case a little bit to be like, hey, have you guys, you, like you tried and put it on the back burner, but maybe try it again, like bring it mm-hmm. back. Yeah. Yes. And um, the way... Genealogy out right now. I mean, I'm guessing there's some type of what is that called? Is it called genealogy when they mm-hmm. isn't look that at what the family do? tree and all that sort of stuff? Is like yeah. the family tree. Mm-hmm. That's how they got the Golden State Killer. Golden State Killer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe Oops. like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and I do want to say like um, so in this book um, that okay so her sadly her case goes cold. But this book doesn't only talk about Louise. Like it, she Louise was one of four San Diego girls who were murdered in the spring of 1931. Oh, so you think it, it was like the same suspect, the same killer? So they're starting to think it could have been the same person. So um, oh. again, I highly recommend this book. He dives deep into each and every one case, every person's case, and <clears throat> I really wanted to go into the other girls. But I've been so busy with like work and the trivia and everything going on. I was like, God, I'm not going to have enough time. Enough time. And like you and I have talked, like we want to put more episodes out there. And I'm sorry, like I know this is kind of like half-assed, but you can just read the book and it goes into more detail. So Virginia Brooks, she was 10 years old and she disappeared one day and her mutilated corpse was found by a sheep herder a month later oh in gosh. San Diego. It was in uh, Kearney Mesa. And then there was a woman with the last name Bibbins, Mrs. Bibbins. She was found partially clad and lying on her bed in a ransacked downtown apartment on April 23rd. She was murdered the same week as Louise. Oh, my gosh. So this woman, Mrs. Bibbins, she would go to the racetracks and she had been strangled. Strangled, too? Was the mm -hmm. other girl also strangled? Do you know? Um, I'm not sure. I don't remember, to be honest, but I know um, they found her corpse mutilated. Yeah. And um, and uh, then there was um, Hazel Bradshaw. He also touches on Hazel Bradshaw. She was 22 years old, and she was stabbed 17 times. Her body was dumped in the Indian Village Boy Scout headquarters in Balboa Park. So another one, you know, in the area. So in that book, Monsters on the Loose, Richard talks about Louise's case and um, let me see, and two others. So the one that he doesn't speak about, I believe, was the Miss Mrs. Bibbins case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like 
for the next time where it's my turn talking about the case, I did come across there were some murders that took place in Los Angeles that they think might be connected to like the same person who killed Louise and possibly these other young girls. Um, That's what I'm working on. That's what I'm like when I go to Idlewild next weekend, I'm just going to relax and I'm going to like go deeper into that. (laughs) Just going to relax, calm myself, listen, read some more uh, crime about murder, (laughs) stabbings. Exactly. That's my way that I relax. Relaxing vacation. <laughs> In the mountains. So I was like, man, instead yeah. of Idlewild, should have went to Julian to go with, to Whispering Pines. Oh, um, but it's so sad because when you think about it, and when we talk about these cases that have been cold for years or possibly even like decades, like there's a family behind it who's still looking for answers. You yeah, know, all these families, you know, these cases just go by. They're not, they don't have any answers. And I wanted to mention that sadly, two years after Louise died, her dad also passed away. And apparently while he was driving from his house in San Diego, he was going to go to remember her aunt and uncle in Chicago. He was driving to go see them and he was driving through Oklahoma and he started to feel lightheaded and so he crawled into the back seat, and then he died. And his cause of death was listed as heat exha- heat exhaustion. Oh my god, that's so that's such a weird way to go. Yeah, I know. But you know, he probably who knows if. Well, I imagine they did an autopsy, but I was gonna say broken heart, his wife, his daughter, mm-hmm. because his. Louise's older sister Isabel. She um she was already married. And so, you know, William she had was her just, own life. she had her own life, you know. Yeah. Anyways, um, that was just the case of Louise. And it was such an old case. So it's not like I could get a whole lot of information. Mm-hmm. Most of it was from this really amazing book. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting. Um, and then, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see what I learn about this, these cases that took place at the same time in Los Angeles. See if, if it sounds like they might be connected. Dang, that's so sad. I hope I hope they're able to find whoever did this, even if it's such a long time, a whole generation, or I mean, sorry, like a whole a hundred years almost later. Mm-hmm. Dang, that's crazy. Aww. Yeah, it is. But um, yeah, maybe. I mean, you might want to get that book, Arena. It was just really interesting. That way, you can hear more about the other two cases that Richard discusses. It's it's really good. Read it in yeah, two yeah. days, like I said. Damn. Oh, and that's so cool that you got to meet him. Did you yeah. ask him any, any questions? Like, did he say anything to you? Um, no, I just basically, like, I tried hard not to, like, look like a fangirl or something. I just went up to him and I was like, hi. He was there with his daughter and okay. he was signing books. And um, I forgot Is my book yours? at home. No, no, I forgot it at home. <laughs> I was so upset. Um, so I told him, I was like, Hey, I, was, I, I purchased your book online. I read it in two days. It was really good. Um, you know, I, I said, um, I'm going to do, I do a little podcast with my friend and I'm going to talk about Louise T-Burn. And he's like, Oh, what are your plans with talking about it? I was like, wow, just basically really talk about what I learned from your yeah. book, you know? Um, but I just told him it was, he read her name. Yeah. Yes. I told him too, like, you know, I, he has, I don't, I think he might have another couple books. Uh, He just wrote it so well. What was was his name again? 
Um, Richard L. Carrico. So he taught at SCSU. um, And and like I said, he goes into like the Kumeyaay tribe and just really how San Diego was back in those days. And he talks about like what was making headlines at that time. It just makes you feel like you were there at that time. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like all the names of the cities and the streets and even some of the buildings, you're like, oh, yeah, they're still there. Like I, I drive by or walk by those places all the time. <laughs> That's really Yeah. Crazy. I mm. should look into the bucket of blood and see like what's <laughs> there right now, you know? I know, yeah, where, what replaced it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so anyways, that was it, Arena. Well, I'm yeah. going to, you know, thank you Ew. so much for hopping on mm-hmm. and... Oh, I hope you feel better. I could tell that you're getting a little feverish. Yeah, or, oh, yeah I, I think I'm warm, full red. But anyhow, yeah, that's it, Arena. It was right. nice sitting well, on here chatting with you. And hopefully you guys like this episode. And if it sucks, I have an excuse that I don't feel well. It's okay. It's all right. I liked it. I thought it was really interesting. We haven't done like an old timey one. I don't think mm-hmm. we ever have done like recent ones. No, we haven't. All right. Well, thank you so much, Renette. And I hope you guys enjoyed and see you next time. Bye. Bye.